it was inappropriate. It would have been inappropriate. He covered them from their neck to their knees. Now, let's consider the proper motives for modesty this evening. And then we will close. I've been trying to take this in in bite-sized pieces, so to speak, rather than trying to cram too much into one particular study. So we're going to go for a few more weeks and consider some of these things. But I want us to consider now, having looked at this, the proper motives for modesty. And it is the first one is our aim must be the glory of God. The glory of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 20 says, For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Notice, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. The cry of the feminists is, It's my body, I'll do what I want with it. The cry of the modern evangelical is, It's my liberty, I'll do what I want. But the declaration of God's holy word is this, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. You're not your own. You are not your own if you are God's dear child. Your whole being, body, soul, and spirit is the purchased property of Jesus Christ. And the price paid for your body was the breaking of His. In Matthew 26... Verse 26, our Lord said this at the Last Supper. This is my body, which is broken for you. The Lord Jesus Christ bought His people. He bought them on the cross of Calvary with His own precious blood. We belong to Him. Our bodies belong to Him. Our souls belong to Him. We must therefore carefully consider how we adorn His property. Brethren, do you think that way? Do you think that way? And we need to think that way about everything we do. Lord, you want me to do this to your body. You bought it, it's yours. This goes far past simply what we put on. It touches everything in our lives. But brethren, I press upon your hearts this evening God's Word when it comes to this without any hesitation. When you sit down and you start thinking through the issue of modesty, it's not what that old preacher says. It's not what I like. It's not what is comfortable to me. It's not what so-and-so wears. That's not the issue. The issue is, if you're a Christian, 
You are Christ's. He bought you with His own blood and broken body. And that is His. Period. No argument. It's His. And therefore, you need to pray and seriously ask, Lord, how do you want me to feed this thing? How do you want me to rest it? How do you want me to adorn it? Because it's His. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 says, Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, and that would have to include then the way you dress, do all to the glory of God. Brethren, I maintain that there are certain things that the Lord's people would stop wearing this very day if their motive for dressing was the glory of God. And not just, well, I always wore this. But the so-and-so didn't think it was a problem. Me and my mom and dad never said, don't do that. It's not the issue. Are you doing this to the glory of God? Colossians chapter 3, verse 17 amplifies the same thing. Whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. So our aim must first and foremost be the glory of God. And I'm utterly convinced if the church of Jesus Christ simply takes that motive seriously, it would make a difference in the way we appear when we gather to worship and what we wear day by day. This is Christ's body purchased with His own blood and it is my purpose today to honor Him in it. Secondly, our motive must be love for Christ. Must be love for Christ. If we're motiva- motivated by fear, if we're motivated by selfishness, if we're motivated by pride, if we've just been browbeaten into something, this will not honor the Lord. And we cannot honor the Lord. Our motive in obedience must be love for Jesus Christ, which flows from the knowledge of His overwhelming love for us. Our motive must be our love which is prompted by His love for us. Brethren, when the Lord Jesus staggered under the weight of His cross and fell, it was my sin that caused that. When they beat Him and pummeled His face, when they spit on that holy face, when they drove the thorns into his head by beating them with a rod, when they plowed his back with whips, and when they hung him upon that cruel cross, it was my sin that caused that. You say, oh, is this a guilt trip? No. This isn't a guilt trip. All of my guilt is laid upon the Lamb of God. I do not respond to that out of guilt. I respond to that out of love. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my all. First John 4.19, we love Him because He first loved us. 
everything that we do, say, think, wear, should have to do with our love for Him because of His love for us. 2 Corinthians 5.15 Listen carefully. And that He died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves. Well, I want to wear this because I just like it. I just want to wear this because it's just comfortable. But there's nothing wrong with comfort and there's nothing wrong with liking it as long as it is within the bounds of biblical propriety. But the basis must not be that I live unto myself. And that's generally the motivation behind those two thoughts. But unto Him which died for them and rose again. That's who we live to. Thirdly, our corrective then should be that we are the temple of the Holy Ghost and we are not our own, as we have already read. I will not read the passage again, but I do want to read you what Thomas Manton, the Puritan preacher, said. He said that garments were given to cover nakedness and the deformity that was introduced by sin. Therefore the apostle saith, let the women adorn themselves in modest apparel. Yet usually, women come hither, that means in the, in, the, in the corporate worship, women usually come hither with a shameless impudence into the presence of God, men, and angels. And you hear how seriously he's taking the corporate gathering. When you come here, it's not just being with just us. It's in the very presence of God, Christ Himself, other men, and the holy angels. This is a practice that neither suits with modesty nor conveniency. Nothing can be alleged for it but reasons of pride and wantonness. It feeds your own pride and provokes lust in others. You would think they were wicked women that should offer others poison to drink. They do that which is worse, those who come in immodestly dressed. They lay a snare for the soul. Now that is amazing language. He's saying, you would say a woman's wicked that would give you poison. And he says, and yet to come into the worship of Almighty God, immodestly clothed, is to lay a snare for men's souls. They uncover that which should be covered. Now Christians should be far from allowing sin in themselves or provoking it in others. Brethren, that is a Christian principle of love. It's not simply self-preservation, but we don't want to provoke it in others. Fourthly, if the above things be so, then our goal must be love for others and the preservation of purity in them and in us and the desire not to provoke them to lust. Romans 13.10 says, Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Why do we dress the way we do? Do you ever ask yourself that question? Why do you dress the way you do? 
And brethren, I have, to, I have to admit to you, when I first started wrestling through these issues, my mind was filled with questions, doubts, and fears, and uh, oh, I could think of a dozen reasons to wear some of the things I just like to wear. But none of them were for the glory of God. And once I actually began to say, for the Lord of glory, not for pride, not for people to come and say, oh, you look so great. It completely, radically changed what I wore. We all love John Bunyan here. Let me give you a quote from Brother Bunyan. Bunyan asked the question that I just asked, why do we dress the way we do this way? Why are they forgoing with their naked shoulders? I will omit part of his quote. You may read it in my booklet. Why are they for painting their faces, for stretching out their neck, and for putting of themselves into all the formalities which proud fancy leads them to? Is it because they would honor God? That's the issue. Because they would adorn the gospel? Because they would beautify religion and make sinners to fall in love with their own salvation? Could there be a better question? Is the desire of your heart to have those that are lost love your Christ? To love the salvation that He has lavished upon you? Is this why we do what we do? Because they would beautify religion and make sinners to fall in love with their own salvation? No, no. It is rather to please their lusts. I believe whatever is this end, this is one of the great designs of the devil. And I believe also that Satan has drawn more into the sin of uncleanness by the spangling show of fine clothes, than he could possibly have drawn unto it without them. I wonder what it was that of old was called the attire of a harlot. Certainly it could not be more bewitching and tempting than the garments of many professors this day. Brother, that was written in the 1600s. I think that many of these men would utterly blanch if they walked in to professing churches today. And I'm talking to many uh, about many of them that call themselves conservative. Two more quotes and then we're done. Richard Baxter says this. He said that now at this point he's speaking to women. Women sin when their clothing tends to the ensnaring of the mind of the beholders in shameless, lustful, wanton passions, though you say you intend it not, it is your sin, that you do that which probably will procure it, yea, that you did not your best to avoid it. What's our reaction today? Eh, it's your problem. But brethren, that's not the Christian attitude. Our attitude is, 
I cause my beloved brother or sister to stumble, I ought to love them enough that I would deny myself this. Baxter's language here is rich. He says, And though it be your sin and vanity that is the cause, excuse me, and though it be their sin and vanity that is the cause, it is nevertheless your sin to be the unnecessary occasion. For you must consider that you live among diseased souls. Powerful language. You must consider that you live among diseased souls. And you must not lay a stumbling block in their way, nor blow up the fire of their lust, nor make your ornaments their snares. But you must walk among sinful persons as you do with a candle among straw or gunpowder. Or else you may see the flame which you would not foresee when it is too late to quench it. Our last quote is from John Calvin. He is making a comment on the seventh commandment. Thou shalt not commit adultery. He says, Lastly, let us consider who the lawgiver is that thus condemns fornication. He says, let's stop and think about who gave us this law for a minute. Even he who, as he is entitled to possess us entirely, entitled to possess us entirely requires integrity of body, soul, and spirit. Therefore, while He forbids fornication, He at the same time forbids us to lay snares for our neighbor's chastity by lascivious attire. Hot clothes, what they like to call them nowadays. Hot fashions. Obscene gestures and impure conversation. There was reason in the remark made by Archelaus to a youth clothed effeminately and over-luxuriously that it mattered not in what part his wantonness appeared. We must have respect to God who abhors all contaminations whatever be the part of soul or body in which it appears. And that there may be no doubt about it, let us remember that what the Lord here commends is chastity. Purity. Why? Because He's holy and pure. If He requires chastity, He condemns everything which is opposed to it. Therefore, if you aspire to obedience, let not your mind burn within with evil concupiscence, your eyes wanton after corrupting objects, nor your body be decked for allurement. Let neither your tongue by filthy speeches nor your appetite by intemperance entice the mind to corresponding thoughts. All vices of this description are a kind of stains which despoil chastity of its purity. Brethren, we've fallen a long way from the time when it could be said and they were not ashamed. Our only hope for restoration is not bullying. Our only hope for restoration is not stomping and fuming and spewing enough that people grudgingly wear certain things into the assembly of God. 
or even in, the day, in their day-to-day walk. The issue is coming to grips with the principles of God's Holy Word. The fact that He is holy. The fact that He saves sinners to make them like His Holy Son. The fact that God commands, requires purity of us, that our characters reflect His holy character. And we must therefore guard our hearts against sin, pride, sensuality in ourselves, and God forbid that we should clothe ourselves with a way, or in a way, that would entice others, or lure others. I thank God for the fathers here, and the husbands who are guiding their homes in this. And I praise the Lord for each one of them. And for those of you who do not, I urge you to pray, not because of what I say, but take these very passages and study the Scriptures. Get out your concordance and look at these things and ask yourself, why do I do what I do? Is it to the glory of God? Is it for the purpose of loving the Lord Jesus Christ? Or is it for my own selfish desires? Brethren, we've been bought with a price. The precious blood of Jesus Christ not only washes us clean from our sins by faith in Christ, but it is also the very price by which we have been purchased. We are not our own. May in everything we bring glory and honor, especially when we gather together to worship to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780 780- Four five zero thirty seven thirty by fax at seven eight zero four six eight ten ninety six or by mail at forty seven ten dash thirty seven A Avenue Edmonton that's E D M O N T O N Alberta abbreviated capital A capital B Canada T six L three T five you may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship, 
in which they absurdly exercise themselves, would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.